Well, dear sisters and brothers in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Well, the sermon this Sunday morning, you're going to have to work at a little bit. You're going to have to hang with me. And if it goes bad, of course, that means it's all your fault. So, because you're not doing your part. I backed up a little bit. I read the last verse from last week's gospel reading. Uh, to begin this week's gospel reading. And you hear Jesus telling the disciples and those who have gathered now that they need to be striving. It's a lovely word. It's reminiscent of my youth when I was getting ready for high school football. We would start about this week, whether it was in North Dakota or Oklahoma, and we would begin striving, right? There was practice, three, three a day, early morning at noon and late in the late in the afternoon early evening and there was pushing of sleds there was tackling there was running there was striving because you what you wanted to make the team you wanted to be that player that got to play the game striving but then what does jesus say right after that there's no striving there's just receiving there is a gift that comes. And what is it like to receive a gift? One that's not earned or one that you haven't been striving for. What if it's just given outright? I mean, there's those gifts that you got when you were a kid that when you'd gotten the uh, Sears and Roebuck uh, Christmas catalog. Who got that when you were a child? Did you ever circle you know, what you were hoping for and you dog mark the uh, page, and if your parents were slow, you would put little sticky notes on there and leave it by their bedroom, you know, or bring them coffee and hand it to them. And then you could act surprised, right, when you got what you were hoping for. But what about those gifts that came to you unexpected? The one that stands out for me as a, as a boy is uh, friends of our family, they had an older son, and he had gotten tired of his bicycle and his dad had gotten him a new one. And I got the hand-me-down. And I don't know if mom and dad paid for it, but all I know is I had the fastest bike in Minot, North Dakota. I was so proud of myself, I got a speeding ticket, which is the coolest thing ever, 42 and a 25. Framed it, put it up on my wall, happy as I'll get out to pay for it. It was a gift. It came unexpected. I certainly hadn't done anything to deserve it. It just was given. And then in the Old Testament lesson, we have this notion of holy waiting, when that there's not much evidence that what you're waiting for is going to come to be true. Here we have Abram and Sarah early on in their life after they'd made the move from retirement they were old before they left. Their life was established. They lived in this major city called Ur. And they were wealthy. They had family. They were established. They were receiving Social Security. And then God invites them to go to a land. And what's the promise if they make the move? We're going to give you more cattle than you have right now. We're going to give you all this land. Oh, and there's already people living there, but we'll deal with that later. But then we're going to give you as many descendants as the stars in the sky or grains of sand on the shore. Holy waiting. 
So now this is God's second visit to them. And of course, there's no children yet. But somehow in the conversation with Abram and Sarai, they're willing to commit to the promise. And what does the text say? It was reckoned to them as being righteous, holy waiting. I thought at this point in the sermon, I thought I might just tell all of you, I'll be right back. And then I was gonna leave the pulpit and wait in the back there for, for about a minute. And then you would be going, we need a new interim senior pastor. <laughs> and the people on TV would be going, what, what happened? So I didn't do that. But you can think about that, right? I mean, if I left, am I coming back? Is he gonna return? Maybe he maybe will be gifted and he won't return. But what ties all these together, what binds them all together is this lovely phrase, have no fear, little flock, for it is the Father's good blessing, good will for you to receive the kingdom. Have no fear, little flock. It's the only place in all of scripture where that line is used. It doesn't appear in any of the other three gospels. Have no fear, little flock, for it is the Father's good will, good purpose, good reason to give you the kingdom. No striving, no waiting, just receiving. But don't be afraid. Whenever I read this text, particularly as I read it this week, and I thought about the world that we live in, I thought, who does Jesus think he is? Really? Have no fear? Has he not turned on the television? Has he not opened a newspaper? Has he not looked at Facebook? Does he not know what's going on in the world right now? Does he not know what's happening in the church right now? Have no fear, little flock. Who does Jesus think he is? One of those pivotal moments in my life happened in 2011. And for, the, and for me, that's, this is where this text kind of came together. It was such a gift, I cannot tell you. I was living in a relationship with the church in Cameroon. I walked in the shadow of people that had gone before me. We'd had great leaders from South Dakota that had established the relationship. We'd had wonderful leaders from the Cameroonian church that had done the same. We had this deep, deep, loving, caring relationship between our two church communities. I had any number of people that had made the trip from South Dakota to Cameroon and vice versa. I had deep friendships with folks there. And the presiding bishop had invited me to come to be their guest for their churchwide assembly. And I knew that they were having conflict within the church just like we were at the same time uh, in 2011. And I knew there was turmoil there and I knew there was turmoil in South Dakota, but we made the decision to go. And I took two young pastors with me and I gave them a full briefing that there might be some danger, but I thought we would be okay. And we finally had made it to the place where the Lutheran church had been given birth. And I had traveled there with the son of the man who had started preaching in Cameroon. 
about 50 years before that. And we were in the community called Bertois. And we were in the church that his dad had built. So I had traveled with Jim Noss and our two young pastors, and we arrived, and we got to the opening worship service and began, and I knew that there was all kinds of turmoil within this church that I was living with over there. And truthfully, by the time we got going, I was afraid, not just so much for my safety, but certainly for the safety of the two young men that I had with me. They had children at home, and I didn't want them to get hurt. I certainly didn't want, and I did not want violence to break out in this church. But as we began the work of the church, a member of the community stood up, and he brought charges against the presiding bishop, and he asked for a vote of no confidence. And the awful part is all the accusations were true. They could be explained, but in this public venue, they were, they were not able to be sorted out in any kind of fashion. And that's how we set off into the work over the next three days. It was like this hanging sword. You know about Damocles, right? And it just hung over us. Because about once a day, someone would bring up, are we going to vote on the accusations? Are we going to vote on that? And we would move on. And so finally, we got to the last day, and as we moved into the evening, I received a briefing that there were men who were armed that were willing and able and wanting to break into this church if the vote happened and went against the bishop. They wanted to physically take control of the church. And so I'm, I was told I needed to find a place to hide my pastors if that happened. And how do you tell young men that? I was afraid. And like many communities, when you get to that point where you can't decide what to do, what do you do then? Well, let's ask someone else what they think, right? So here this church of Cameroon finally said, well, let's hear from all of our partners. And so the people from Canada spoke and the people from Norway spoke. And I kept looking over at our group because we also had people from churchwide from Chicago. And truthfully, they were the ones who should be speaking on behalf of us. And I looked over and I discovered there was an empty spot. And the one who should be the speaker had been hit by dysentery. And he was not there with us that day. And so I get a note from the people in the pews. You need to do the talking. No, I don't. <laughs> and I'm sitting next to the son of the man who started the preaching 50 years before that. And I said, well, what do I say, Jim? And Jim in his very Norwegian from Selby accented English said, well, I don't know, but it better be good. Oh, boy. And as I'd listened to our partner speak, no one had, had just finally given it over to Jesus. And so I thought, well, if there was a time for a Bible study, it seems like right now is a time for a Bible study. So I had Jim read in Baia and in French, Matthew 18. And what I love about that text is that Jesus actually understood that there would be conflict in the church, that there would be arguments and disagreements. And he lays out a path of how you deal with disagreement, that if I have a problem with you, I need to come see you. 
And if that does not resolve it, then I take two or three with me. And if that doesn't work, then I bring it to the church. Because all I had at that moment was, in fact, Jesus. Have no fear, little flock, for it is the Father's good will to give you the kingdom. All I could do was give them the kingdom. And here is how you deal with conflict. And so I asked the man who had brought the charges to stand up, and I asked him, I said, had you met with the bishop ahead of time? Had you brought two or three with you? And the answer, of course, was no. And then I had the bishop stand up. And I said, have you met with him, and have you brought two or three with them? And the answer was no. And I said, I cannot speak to the accusations or to the conflict, but it seems to me as if we've jumped over a couple of steps that think that Jesus seems to believe are pretty important. And so then I sat down. And it was a sense of calmness because I knew that it was not me that had done the work. I knew that Jesus was there in the room and that the gift that he had promised was in fact present. And the man that had brought the accusation stood up and said, I withdraw my motion. And the bishop stood up and announced that he would not run for the next term. And about five minutes later, the convention was over. And we had worshiped the next day, and it was my good gift to be the preacher that day. But to finally serve Holy Communion to this community and to see how the Word had done its work, how Jesus, in fact, had calmed the fears of all those who had gathered. So in spite of what you see on Facebook, in spite of what you read in the newspaper, it is still Christ's kingdom. And God, our Heavenly Father, wants to give it to you this day. So God's blessings as you receive the gift and as you live it out and as you work it through your life and in your family. Amen.